Thank you. I appreciate you allowing me. To, I just felt that burden. You know, it's real easy when you feel a burden like that to put it away. And I keep promising myself I'm going to quit doing that. But I, I, I do. I do stand in need of your prayers this afternoon. That the Lord would bless us for a little while to look at him, rejoice in him. Because it's not about me. It's only about him. <clears throat> I guess they decided I wasn't going away, so they brought me water this time. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I, I want to start, and, and I've, I've got, you know, it's weird what you get on your mind. Brother Vince come real close to it this morning in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah as a way of starting. Because remember, here's who it's about. It's about the Lord. But I want to notice, he says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And then he says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I want to think about the carrying of our sorrows. What, what is, how is it that Jesus carries our sorrows. He says he carried, past tense, by the way. How did he carry our sorrows? I read over in Genesis, and in the third chapter of Genesis, we find where sorrows really came from, and it was because of sin on our part. He says here in verse 16, And to the woman he said, I will, put, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now that's somewhat of a curse to the woman. Unto the, and then he says, And unto Adam he said, Adam didn't get off. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So we find that sorrow is something that we're going to have in life. But why would Jesus have to deal with sorrow? Because although he was a man, as we heard this morning, and yet he was God, he didn't have that burden of grief of his own sin. But I want you to see that as he looks at us, and we being his children... 
Every time we sin, there's the grief. There's the sorrow, if you will. And so he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Not because of his sin, but because of our sin. And we need to understand the difference. That Jesus, as he comes, <coughs> here he is walking, and we see him. And, and, and let's just go over there to Luke for a minute. 22. In this 22nd chapter of Luke, here's what he says. It says, and when he was, and he, well, he's, here's the man, okay? Here's the man as he comes to that time, and he knows. And in, in Matthew, it, it says that he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He's not sorrowful for himself in the sense that we would think of, uh, of, of his sin because he didn't have any. But he's sorrowing because of what he's going to have to go through, the rejection of God Almighty on our part. He's going to endure that for us. So as, as we think about this, he, in this 22nd chapter of Luke, he says, he asked the brethren to pray. And he himself went a little far, a little apart, and he prayed. And he came back, and guess what? They're all asleep. He woke them up, and he went again, and he come back, and then watch what he says. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. That's his sorrow. That's the sorrow, the grief that he's experiencing because here they are and they can't even stand with him for a few moments. The weakness of the flesh of those that he loved, those that he cared about, those that he came to die for, and here they are, they can't even stand with him. They can't even pray without going to sleep. Wow. Sorrow, for sorrow, sleeping for sorrow. There was a grieving that he had, but then he said, sleep on, because the time was come. There was no escaping it. It was why he had come to this ground of sin and sorrow, and now here he is. He carried our sorrows. He went to the cross to deliver us from who we are as fallen Adam. That is the amazing beauty of the gospel. Did you know that? And that's as simple as I know how to put it. Here's the man, Jesus, sorrowing within himself because of the rejection of everyone that he loved. And he was even going to suffer the rejection from God Almighty because he's going to be our sin bearer. There's his sorrow. So he met the demands of a just and holy God. Now, I, I, 
as Brother Don was there a minute ago, uh, and, and look at that song, I thought of this book of Nehemiah. And here's old Nehemiah in the house of the king, and he gets news from home. He gets news from a far country, by the way. <coughs> He's in the captivity. And he asked how things were at home. You ever ask how things are at home? You know, one of the things that I, I people are always asking, well, how's the churches doing over there in western Oklahoma? And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to answer them. Uh, because sometimes I think they're doing pretty good and they're about to fall apart. Sometimes I think they're about to fall apart and they're fixing to be, I mean, who knows? The Lord knows. It's him that we look to. It's him that we trust in. And if he doesn't support us and, and strengthen us, we're going to all be gone uh, shortly. Uh, but here he is in captivity. And they said unto him, and said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. How would you respond to that? If you got news from home and they said they're all in great reproach. The wall of, of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I mean, they're just telling it like it was. That was the way it was. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. Uh, watch what he does. He wept and he mourned certain days and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. He didn't just give up, but he, he understood and here he is in a state of sorrow and mourning. And I want, to watch, I want you to notice where it takes him. <coughs> because, he, and he and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven. Here's a prayer. He's praying to God. A sincere prayer. I beseech thee, O God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and Observe his commandments. He's talking directly to God. Let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. You know, I find it fascinating. You look through the Old Testament and David's writing and so many of them, uh, how often they are concerned about praying and God not hearing. Do we ever think about that? If you ever prayed and, did, and realized that uh, you didn't get an answer? Have you? Well, sure you have. Well, we, uh, we have a misconception sometimes that every time we're praying, God's going to give an answer. We can behave ourselves in such a way that God can shut us off and won't answer. So it is important that we do what he did and humble himself and mourn because of what? Because we see that we're sinners and we understand who we are. Then we approach unto God. 
Uh, and as we approach unto God uh, in that humility of spirit, in that contrite heart, uh, in that uh, uh, heart that God has touched, uh, now then, God will hear our prayer. And, and we're going to see a great prayer answered right here. This man, uh, he's going to go before the king. Let me read just a little bit more of this first, though. He says, notice... I, I get the beginning of this sentence. I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Do you catch what he just did? He just included himself in that we that have sinned against thee. Do we understand that that's who we are? That we have sinned against God. And now he's going to go on. And uh, he said, and I and my father's house have sinned. Uh, I mean, he brings it down. There's no doubt. He's seeing, I am the guilty. Do we understand this evening that, oh, I am the guilty? That it's me that has sinned? That it's me that haven't measured up? That it's me that uh, I have not been faithful to God? Uh, and, and so then he go, he's going to continue on with this. And uh, I, I want to skip through this because I, I, I want to get to something else. But I, I want you to notice that he's going to come before the king to bring the wine to the king. And the, wine, the king sees there's something wrong with him. What's wrong with you? And he detects that it has to be this sorrow of heart. And so he inquires, the king inquires what he can do for him. And now then, old Nehemiah is concerned. Because the king in a foreign land, but the king's asking about it. The king said unto me, for I... For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God in heaven. Here he is. He's just finished that prayer. Now he's coming to God to inquire. What do I tell him? How do I handle this? And so uh, uh, he, he, he gives us some thought. You know, we ought to do that before we speak. And, and truth is, we don't. Very often we just jump out there and say what we're thinking. Now, I'm not looking at you, Sister Margaret. <laughs> he said, and, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servants have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. He's ready to go build again the, that temple uh, and that, the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, he's ready to go restore. Here's a mindset, uh, uh, if you will, that we need to have in our life today. That we are willing to go and rebuild uh, and uh, 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 reestablish, renew, restore. Do we need restoration? I'll tell you we need restoring, don't we, Brother Don? We need, we need restoration uh, uh, in the house of God. Uh, I need to be restored. I need to be renewed almost daily. Uh, and <coughs> how do I get there? 
I'm going to get there after the word. That whole 119th Psalm, and that's what, 150-something verses? Have you ever looked at how many times quicken, 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 quicken is used there? And you know I don't think there's a one time it's used talking about the good birth. Not there. But it is talking about a an enlivening. We need an enlivening. We need a renewing. We need a restoring. And I, this isn't where I thought I was going, but this is where we're going. <coughs> now, <coughs> here they, they, they got it. As, uh, and he went, he, the king supplied, and he went, and he labored, and they rebuilt. Now, I want to go for just a little bit, and, and I want to look at the Corinthian letter. And we're still thinking about sorrow, okay? In First Second Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at this for just a little bit. And we're, probably, we're not going to be long. But I, I do believe that we need to understand that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to this church because they had things that needed to be dealt with. They were yet carnal. They had a lot of things going on. They had divisions and schisms and all that stuff. Some said, I'm of this man, and some said, I'm of that man, some I'm of the Lord. Uh, I mean, they were divided. And so he wrote to correct them. And this is what he's dealing with in this seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforteth us by the coming of Titus. Now, Titus had come, and he said, that Not only by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, not like the sunrise, but your grieving, your fervent mind. There's that mind again. Toward me so that I rejoice the more. So what he's saying is that my, my first letter that I sent to the Corinthian church, and now Titus has come with news, and it's had an effect. This is good news. There's a consolation here. There's a, uh, and, and I, I want us to understand that consolation is, is a great uh, prize. It's, it, it's a, a, a strengthening, if you will. He says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle that, that hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So they sorrowed, but now then it caused a change. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, it's important that we understand that we need the godly sorrow uh, because it works for repentance, not to be repentant. To repent. I won't get it done. But godly sorrow, when you feel the grieving for what's been done, <coughs> then that will bring a repentance. And it's a repentance that won't be repented of. And this is what he's going to tell us. <coughs> for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, 
that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. They, Paul's saying, I was hard. And I, I know that I made you sorry, but look where you're at now. Look at the benefit of that sorrowing that you went through. Because now then, you're in the Lord. Now you're closer to the Lord. Now you're able to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and uh, now you're not in that carnal state that you were in. Then he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to re be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, we can sorrow about a lot of things. Uh, you, you get to, uh, on the news, you watch those folks that are caught uh, uh, breaking the law, and they're always sorry. Uh, they're sorry because they're going to have to pay for it. Uh, but we're talking about something that goes farther than that. We're talking about something that leads to a change in lifestyle, a change in behavior, a change in our relationship with God, and we need that. Uh, now then, he says, for behold, I love that word, don't you? I just love that word, behold, look at this. Behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, a godly sort, what carefulness. Here's something that your sorrow has worked. He's talking to the Corinthian church, and their sorrow, now it's brought them to a carefulness to serve. A carefulness. That's, that's taking care to do. You know, there's a lot of things that we are to take care to do. In every church, do we rely on one individual to do everything? Or do we all, as a body, take care to do? It's important. It's, it's not one individual's responsibility to do everything in the church. It's every member of the church. And we have a responsibility to serve, love, and nourish one another, edifying one another in the name of the Lord. And uh, we do that on a daily basis. Sometimes it's the simplicity of a hug and a, a, a handshake. Uh, sometimes it's being there uh, in the night when they need someone. Uh, sometimes uh, it just goes on and on. But we are servants one to another. Our church covenants, uh, if you have one, is probably going to say something to the effect that you agree to serve one another for good and to look over one another for good. Uh, that we might all together be collectively in the body of Christ raised up in the spirit as a sudden heavenly place and to rejoice in the goodness and mercies of our God. He says, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, going to go on, what clearing of yourselves. What does that mean? Well, he's saying you were guilty and now you've been delivered from that guilt. By the way, uh, Brother Vince got over there in, in Acts 2 this morning. Uh, and you, let me tell you something. When those men asked Peter, uh, said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They weren't asking what they should do to get eternal life. They were asking what they could do to get rid of the guilt that they felt. And, and what did he tell them? Oh, there's nothing you've got to do. 
he didn't say that. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He, uh, he's saying you're going to see, receive that peace that comes from the Holy Ghost uh, in the deliverance from the guilt. What is baptism? Does it save us? Yes, it does, but not eternally. Baptism, uh, uh, when we are baptized, it is a deliverance or a salvation from the guilt that we feel within here. That's what those men needed. They needed that deliverance. Baptism does also now save us, not to put away the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's a testimony that God's working in us and that we uh, feel and see and understand that we uh, were made dead to the law by the body of Christ and raised to serve in newness of the spirit. That's the testimony. Uh, uh, and uh, even though we've sinned uh, and come short of the glory of God, it gives us the peace. There's the salvation. Because they told us, by the way, saved by water. Remember that? Black city of wearing tombs. What happened to them? They were delivered from the destruction of the flood. Didn't have anything to do with their eternal life. But it was certainly a salvation. I wouldn't want to die in a flood. I mean, I, I've never been in a flood, really. I lived in Oklahoma, you know. <laughs> Nearest thing we had to it was about three, four years. And by the way, three, four years ago, it had been dry. For, for Our little lakes were all dried up. What it took? It took about five hours. <laughs> One day it started raining. And it came down, I mean, in buckets. Next thing you know, the rivers are running over, the bridges are going down the river. And by the end of the day, the lakes were all full. I mean, going over the dam. Ain't nothing too hard for God. <laughs> now then, we look here. He says, Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation. That's an interesting word, isn't it? What indignation. What do we hate? Do you ever get where you hate sin? Do you hate that that causes the sorrow in you? When we're there, uh, what, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't come up with this one. And, and you ain't going to quit it. But when you start to hate it, it's not hard to quit. When you hold that in indignation, then you can put it away. And that's what he's saying. What carefulness, what uh, clearing of yourselves, and now what indignation. And then he says, yea, what fear. Why do we fear? We fear... God not delivering us. We fear because the sorrow comes. And, and yet, when we've gone through that sorrow, then it works out a fear that we don't get back there. We don't want to be there again.
We want to be away from that that caused us such grief. We want to live the high road. We want to live closer to the Lord. And, and, and he, he goes, it's amazing what he says here. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, these scriptures like this, if I'm not real careful, I'll read over them. And never stop and think about what they're saying. You know why that is? Because growing up, I learned to study the scripture to prove us old Baptist right instead of trying to understand what it's saying. We've done a great disservice to our people in teaching them that. We need to go down through the word of God and take every word and put it in its context and understand what God is telling us. He said, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire. I mean, that's a burning desire to do. Do we need that? It's going to come out of sorrow, godly sorrow, and the repentance is going to bring us to that place. Now then, we're putting him first. Do we really do that? If we're really repenting from our sins, yes, we do. It's when we take his word serious and it becomes our necessary food. And so we want it time and time again. The vehement desire, this burning desire to know more about him, to be closer to him, to feel closer to him. <clears throat> Yea, what zeal. <laughs> zeal. You mean old Baptists are supposed to have zeal? Oh, Brother Luther Porter used to say, old Baptists go to the football game on Saturday night and hoot and holler like wild wooden Indians or wild Indians, and then they come to church on Sunday morning and sit there like wooden Indians. <laughs> a lot of truth in that. But we ought to have a zeal, a zeal of God. And it ought to be according to knowledge. <laughs> Not like the one you read about over there in Romans. They had a zeal of God, but it wasn't according to knowledge. Uh, but through sorrow, godly sorrow, it will bring us to repent and come to this place where now the zeal is for real. We're talking about a real zeal. That almost rhymes, don't it? Real zeal. Yea, what revenge. That's an interesting thought right there. What do you mean revenge? Revenge right here is telling us that we are to deal with it. We're going to deal with the flesh. We're going to deal with that that would bring sorrow to us. Yea, what zeal, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. There's salvation. It's a timely salvation, but there's a deliverance. You know, when I stop and think about this, there's a little story, and, and some of you have heard it. I've, I've told it all over the country. But I had some old cousins back here in, in Oklahoma, and we used to, on Sunday afternoon, we'd go out to my uncle's, and we could walk across the cotton patch, and there 
shoot at. We only had one BB gun. But my, one of my cousins, he was older than the rest of us, meaner. And walk across that cotton patch, he would reach down and pick up a dirt ball. That old red dirt, it, it'd stick together pretty good. And us three younger guys, we were down there, but my youngest cousin had the BB gun. And so he's carrying the BB gun, and here's Brother Phil back behind there, and my sister, and he reaches down, and he, all of a sudden, this dirt clog comes right over our ears. And then the next one, it don't pick. My, the youngest brother had the BB gun. He turned around, and he started after him, and he's shooting at his feet. And you know, old Phil was begging. I, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again. And so, after a few shots, well, Bruce put the gun on his shoulder and we started on down. We hadn't gone 10 foot. Here comes another dirt clock. Did you know that that is one of the biggest examples of false repentance I've ever seen in my life? It wasn't a godly sorrow. The only sorrow he had was because he was getting shot. And I know the boobies were stinging even though it was hitting him in the ankle. <clears throat> but that time, Bruce didn't quit. Chased him all the way back to the house. He ran to mom. <clears throat> Isn't it fascinating how godly sorrow works repentance not to be repented of? And we do need it, don't we? You know, there's another little place, and I over in the book of First uh, Samuel, and this is the story of Hannah. And Hannah is praying, and old Eli, the priest, sees her pray. And she's in great bitterness of soul. She's praying to the Lord and she wept sore. You know why she was praying? She was barren. She couldn't have children. There's a great lesson for us right there. We're called to bear fruit. She was unfruitful. And so she's come and she's praying. And oh, Eli accused her of being drunk. But she set him straight on that pattern. She wasn't drunk. But she was in mourning. She was grieving because she couldn't bear fruit. You know why we're here? You ever hear people say, well, I just don't know why I'm here. I can tell you why you're here. I don't care if you're 102 or if you're five. And the highlight of that meeting to me, and, and I always look for, you know, the highlight. Sometimes it's not the preacher. The highlight of that meeting was a 99-year-old little sister at the motel that night that got to talking about the Lord in her life. And at midnight, she was 
was going. She was wound up like an Apex Tower. She had raised her children. Her husband had died. Some of your kin folks, by the way. Her husband had died when she was in her 40s or 50s, and she had raised her family by herself. Farm, she'd done everything. But she knew that she'd done it by the grace of God and with God's help. And there was a testimony that came from her that I haven't forgotten. She sorrowed because of her loss. But let me tell you, she found the Lord. And she became an encouragement to all of us sitting at that table that night. Friends, we, you make a difference in people's lives. I want to think very quickly about Jesus as he, in the 11th chapter of John as he came to the tomb of Lazarus. And as he gets there, he comes to that tomb and here's Lazarus' sister Martha and Mary. And the Jews had come to comfort them in their grief. And to share in their sorrow. You ever wonder why you go to funerals? You ever go to a funeral and think, well, I've got to have, some, I've got to have the right word to say. If you do, if you think that, you're wrong. Sometimes the best thing you can say is absolutely nothing. Job's miserable comforters comfort him as long as they kept their mouth. When they started talking, they, they ceased to be a comfort. And a burden. It was what they became. <laughs> but the Lord came... And here he is, and he is encouraging the sisters in their sorrow. I wondered, is he carrying their sorrow here? Is this another place where he's carrying it in a timely sense? He's grieving with them. He's sharing in their grief. And grief and sorrow aren't exactly the same. I, I don't know that I can really describe the difference, but they're not quite the same. We can grieve and not sorrow, but sorrow comes out of grief, if I'm right. Study it. Look at it. Take my word for it. But here comes Jesus, and he's wanting to comfort those sisters. And you remember he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he asked them if they believed, and they both believed that their, their brother would live again in the resurrection. <clears throat> but I don't believe there was a one of those sisters that believed that they, that they were going out to the tomb and Lazarus was going to come out. Was that unbelief? They believed part of it, but they still didn't really believe in the full power of the Lord. But when he goes to the tomb... The short, shortest verse in Scripture says Jesus wept. There is a picture of sorrow right there. It's not for him. It's for them. He's weeping for them. He's grieving for them. He became the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we rejected him. We didn't believe him. 
We didn't understand who he was. And he did it anyway. He wasn't depending on us. He came to do the will of the Father and he'd done it to perfection. And because he did, we have a hope today. Had he failed, we'd be without hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. It's not in this life only. When Lazarus came to, when Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth, there was a great manifestation of the power of Jesus right there. And don't you know there was rejoicing? When, how did he get out of, to, out of that tomb? He was wound up in grave clothes. I don't think he walked out. I think he was carried out by the power of the voice of the Son of God. I believe he came out with power. And I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say just come forth or everybody would come out of there. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And then he said, loose him and let him go. I'll tell you, we need to be loosed and let go. As we're delivered from the flesh, we need to be loosed and let go. That we might walk in a way that honors this God who is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can honor him today. We should honor him today. We have time to honor him. That's why we're here. And as we honor him, we find comfort for ourselves. We find comfort and peace in repenting. What do we need to repent of? Turn away from the world. Turn away from the flesh. Turn away from self and our you know we got idols. You, 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 you understand we got idols? Now, I'm not talking about something graven image you said. I'm talking about sometimes our idols are our grandchildren. Uh, sometimes our idols are the house or the old car. And either one of them can be gone in a heartbeat. <coughs> They're no gods. But they are blessings that God has given us. But we need to give God the glory. We need to give God the glory for everything that he gives us that we have. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father, from our God. He's a great God. There's none like him. And when we turn away from the world and put him first in our life, he will hear our prayers, he will answer our prayers, he will be with us, and he will direct us, go with us, deliver us time and time again. I thank you for your kind attention.